0: the Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts the salary cap and business of sports. Well, welcome to the Spot Track podcast. Kevin Sylvester, Paul Peck and Mike Gennetti from spottrack.com and it is just NFL heavy this week on the podcast because of the NFL trade deadline and for the first time I think in my lifetime there's actually trades in the NFL. Nah, that's a little overstating it. Mike, but there's a ton of trade activity in the NFL. Why is that happening?
1: Yeah, it's it's Kind of a crapshoot this time. year. you kind of never know if it's going to be you know dead nothing or silent or you know if it's going to be interesting like this. So I, I think we're, where we're at, we're at a point where these GMs, maybe a little younger, maybe a little fresher, maybe these teams are kind of coming around to using this as a as a way to really kind of deal with their cap during the season, either for right now or definitely for next year or for for the years to come. So you've seen some major players, you know, who are certainly going to help in terms of the football side of things, move to different teams for the next few weeks and you've seen a lot of cap numbers kind of change in terms of the back and forth of how these trades have, have hashed out. And we're going to take a look at that today.
2: Yeah, I think it's just the evolution of the Moneyball era that we're in in relating to all sports, Mike, where where the GMs have grown up to see it in other sports and are starting to think like those like like the Moneyball era got us all thinking about sports.
1: Right. And, and what we've got, we've got a hockey situation, right? We've got teams who who need to kind of take, you know, week six, week seven and identify am I a buyer? Am I a seller? And that kind of dictates how where they are in terms of this trade deadline week. So, you know, we've seen some surprises for sure. You know, we've seen you know big names move, big positions move, which is really what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, it's a situation where maybe teams are coming around to the fact that you know we can be out of it week eight, and that's okay. We can we can make ourselves better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to use uh, the NHL analogy, and and much like the NHL, we see some moves that were made. A couple of weeks ahead of the trade deadline, you see that in hockey more and more. Where you know the deadline will be end of February and like late January, you'll see a significant move, and then one early February, and some teams will say, "Well, we already made our our big move." Then, you know, Adrian Peterson, for example, was the the big trade that happened early on. Aside from Sammy Watkins, uh, when the Bills traded him back in the summer.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and you know that was more of a football move. I think that was more of a guy who just really. I mean, he had no place on that roster, that Saints roster. He had no, no role. He had, you know, no carries and no place behind two other good running backs. So that was probably more of a football side of it. But really what it did is it kind of preempted where we were going. I, I think that, you know, maybe may have sparked other GMs to kind of take a look and say, hey, we can we can move some of these big names. It's okay. You know, there's a comfort factor with it because, you know, a lot of times in the past couple of years, teams have waited for the draft, you know, you know waited for free agency to kind of make these moves when the cap dollars and when cap space is really the hot stove topic, right? But it really should be a hot stove topic 12 months a year. You know, GMs should be handling this kind of stuff all year long,
2: I think, Mike. One thing that I thought of was, you know, you saw Adrian Peterson traded, you saw Jay Ajayi traded. They always say running back is the easiest position to drop into a new team because they don't have that much to learn. Where's my hole? Where am I running? Um, so, you know, the running back, I, I, I think, situation is makes a lot of sense. It's an easy sell to a coach and a coaching staff that I can go get a running back, and and you'll have them ready within a week or two. But. But I think the other thing is we've gotten to the world where the NFL, there's so much roster turnover because of injuries that I wonder if coaches have become better at getting guys ready to play quicker, which then leads a general manager to say, hey, I can trade for a guy. And normally in the old days, you'd say he isn't going to be able to help me for a month. It's different now because teams are being forced by injuries to have guys ready to play within a week. Sometimes,
1: so so two things. Number one, I think position definitely matters, and I think you're correct with the running back. I think it's you know most teams are already running back by committee as it is. So you know there there are limited roles. There there are it's more of a of a parity in terms of across the league with the running back position. Um, The other the other point to, to make here is that really. What you're looking at are are teams who maybe the systems aren't so far apart anymore, right? Maybe, maybe maybe you know where 10 years ago you had you know five teams running these these this system and five teams running this system, and there's no way those players could ever you know make that work in the middle of the year. Maybe right now, you know it's more of a spread out. It's more of a passing game in terms of how teams are are structuring their offenses, at least on that side of the ball. And maybe it's just it's just an easier process for guys to get their head around it if they've got to move in the middle of the year like this.
0: Let's talk about the AFC East because that's been the most interesting division uh, with trades in the NFL in the last week, and it was started off by the Buffalo Bills. a big trade, Marcel Darius, a former third overall pick. Uh, in the 2011 NFL draft, traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars for a measly sixth-round pick. But there's a there's a lot to this on why the Bills moved on from Marcel Darius. There's the on-the-field stuff. Obviously, if he was performing, they probably would not have traded him and or have gotten more than a sixth-round pick. But contractually, there's a whole lot in there uh, that you can look at at SpotTrack.com. But Mike, tell us why this trade made sense for the Bills, what does it mean for the Jags, uh, what's all in there?
1: Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, the be- it's the best of both worlds here. The Bills clearly were, were running out of favor with Darius in terms of using him on the field, in terms of the production he was putting up. You know, they, ha- they had other options for run-stoppers on that team, and, and you saw that kind of last, last Sunday against the Oakland Raiders. But, uh, you know, this was just an overpaid player in a franchise that was kind of moving forward without him, and, you know, they were happy to get anything let alone a sixth round pick for him. This was a this was a contract dump. That's what this was. This was the Bills had a number in terms of dead cap that they had to take on to get out of this contract. It's significant, but it saves them cap now, it saves them cap next year and it saves them not having to pay salaries for the next 4 years. So, you know, this was a a good move for the Bills in terms of shedding that contract, a good move from a football standpoint, I think, and being able to go younger and cheaper on their defensive line where they need to. And, you know, Jacksonville gets a nice player, you know, in an area where they need. They need, they need to up their runs, run defense right now. They, they essentially get, you know, a two-year, $15 million contract with Darius. After that, they can cut him with no dead cap. So, you know, it's a kind of a win-win for both sides. But certainly, you know, the six-round pick is really a throw-in at this point. That Buffalo just needed to get rid of that contract.
0: How much cap space did the Bills or do the Bills save on this? And how much money, dead money, do they still have?
1: Yeah. So, so what they dealt with is they'll, they'll, they'll clear about 8 million when it's all said and done five, a little bit over five this year, a little bit over two next year. And when you count in the rollover effect, you've got about 8 million for next year, kind of cleared with Darius, but you know, significant dead cap hits, you're looking at 10 over 10 million in dead cap hits this year and 14.2 next year. So, you know, you're paying an elite cap to not have a guy on your team next year, it's really what the Bills are going to be doing.
2: But they still come out ahead by getting Jacksonville to take even some of that contract better than they would have been had they
1: waited to release him at the end of the year. Right. No more cash paid. They've got the you know the football side of it's an improvement from, based on what we've heard, and you know Jacksonville gets a player for you know half the money.
0: That was the first move in the AFC East. The second move, and Paul mentioned one. So let's talk about the the Ajaya, uh, uh trade from the Miami Dolphins to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, here's a good running back, young running back, going to a team that you could argue whether well, or not they need a running back. They need they need an offensive lineman, but they end up getting a running back uh, instead. Just and he doesn't make a ton of money.
1: No, no, he's on the rookie contract, third year. So, you know, fifth round pick. You're talking minimum salaries. He's t- making about six hundred fifteen thousand this year. So he split that up, and the Eagles are on the hook for about three hundred twenty five thousand for this trade. Um, what I thought was interesting is the the Dolphins trade him, and then they come out and say. Yeah, well, he's washed up anyway. I don't know if you heard this. They they said, yeah, th- this is a this is a, you know, a 20 something running back with with 45 year old legs. So, you know, not only did they trade him, they trashed him after the fact. So, this was this was maybe the more interesting of the moves in terms of that because the it, money, yeah, the money's really not that big of a deal It here.
2: brings up an interesting point that you make that um and 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 Ajayi had some run-ins with Adam GaSe last year. There were some. There may be some off-the-field thing, but but I do know for a fact that NFL teams, when they evaluate running backs coming out of college, will track how many carries and touches they've had. That that there is a mileage meter, so to speak. And remember, Jay Ajayi at Boise State was a workhorse. Who and I don't know necessarily whether he was a starter from his freshman year or not. But it's interesting that you say that, and would not be shocked that. He didn't maybe fit. He maybe wasn't a guy they liked dealing with, but maybe they said, you know what? What are we getting? What's left from this guy? He runs so hard, and he's been banged up before. Maybe there is a little bit of getting rid of him a year before he's
1: done. So even if there is, what's funny to me is that it's not like he's on a $40 million contract. And he was a huge asset to their system. I mean, we're, right. talking, we're talking less than a $1 300000 this year and 700000 next year. Tells me they no wanted, dead cap. Tells me know? they wanted him off I the mean, Philly can pay 300000 this year, win the Super Bowl, and cut him next year and for nothing. So, I mean, this was, you know, this was, yeah, they gave him a fourth-round pick. And, that, and that's a good win for the Dolphins, really, in terms of what we're discussing here. But, yeah, they're, they're sort of trashing a guy that's worth nothing in terms of the, <laughs> the cap.
0: Well, yeah. let's hope he has a good financial advisor Uh, Given with how relatively speaking, NFL wise, I know a lot of listeners say, Let's make it $600,000. That's an incredible amount of money. Just, yeah, Yeah, right. But in NFL, it's not. It's, uh, you know, as you said, low, low money on that rookie contract. Just an interesting trade in the AFC East. But perhaps the most interesting trade, the most interesting trade was the New England Patriots uh, trading Garoppolo to the 49ers, getting rid of their backup quarterback, a guy there's a lot of talk about in the offseason trading him and someone who is scheduled to make a ton of money uh next year they just talk about the garoppolo trade here what it means uh, not only for him and what your valuation is of him uh on the market because we're going to talk about quarterback valuations too here uh today because it's very important you have your own uh, valuation and where he slots in but just everything that goes into this trade to the
1: 49ers yeah this is this is a monster and it kind of came out of nowhere here um, obviously the 49ers are thinking next year they've been probably doing that since week two <laughs> based <laughs> on what they saw on the field but you know what they've done is they've given themselves a chance to to kind of bring this guy in evaluate them if they need to I know that's a, kind of a, an interesting side of this too is you know how much are they going to let him play right now how much are they going to see him are they going to see enough to have to raise his value to to lower his value it's, it's an interesting situation for him and for the 49ers really in terms of wait no this next contract that's forthcoming here but really i mean he's he's coming for nothing right now you know four hundred thirty thousand dollars in salary to, to, to bring him over right now for that second round pick and return um he will be a free agent after this so there's options the, uh, there's two the two big options obviously are the franchise tag and a long-term contract i i assume both player both the team and the player will be leaning towards the long-term contract um just knowing that the the franchise tag is going to come in at about 23 million next year you know with all the restrictions that come with it so um, you know, when we talk about the long-term contract with Garoppolo, it's it's extremely tough. It's extremely tough for, for someone like me to value him. I assume it's extremely tough for someone like the team to evaluate him. Um, obviously, the agent just wants the money. Sure. So right. we'll <laughs> yeah. leave them out of it. But. <laughs> <laughs> But talk to the
0: agent. He's unbelievable. Yeah, he's yeah. been held back by do Brady you really, so many years. Do
2: you really think that the way he performs, however much he plays the rest of the season, has an impact on it? I don't I think
1: it's a lock He's either, he's gonna they're gonna sign him to a long term deal, right, Mike? Here's the thing it's no win for him. If he comes out and plays great, he's still gonna get X dollars, right? Because he's 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 at a point where he knows that team has all the money in the world right now, and he's the most important part of it. So he's gonna get the max dollar from the 49ers. If he goes out and puts lays an egg for seven weeks, right, then absolutely that could that could change his value. You know, guys like me will be, will, will be running those calculations, and you'll see that number drop. I see it every week with players.
0: So, That's a fair point. If he's playing quarterback for the Patriots and becoming a free agent because right. Brady was hurt and he plays for five weeks, his value's higher playing in that system right. – uh, even with some injured receivers for the Patriots, than it would be playing for the 49ers.
1: Right, and, and to kind of compare to that, which is where we're going here in terms of the valuation, you know, there's only a few guys who you can kind of look to 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 see kind of where Garoppolo fits. We've got, obviously, Brock Eisweiler two years ago who sort of stood in the wings in Denver. He played a little bit. He kind of teased us with, could he be a great quarterback? He's, he's He kind of looks the part. And Houston gave him $72 million, $37 million guaranteed, you know? And we all know where that stands. The Cleveland Browns now we're paying 15 million for him to play for the Denver Broncos again. So, and he may play for the Denver Broncos again. It yeah. sounds like Yeah, it, yeah, it sounds like it. Bad money. Right. Like,
2: you now, from the Patriots' standpoint, this was a clearly money decision to trade Garoppolo, uh, even though it leaves them a little bit you know, perceived to be weaker at the quarterback position, but obviously Bill Belichick was not going to let an asset walk out the door and get nothing in return. He's never done that in his career.
1: He wasn't going to do it now. Can't you just see him sitting there holding his hands, you know, <laughs> kind of <laughs> rubbing his hands together, getting yeah. nervous? It's, it's. You know, I, I, he hasn't had a backup quarterback this long in a very long time. You know, they def- generally get traded by that third year, you know, as soon as they've shown at least a little bit that they can hold up and be the backup to Tom Brady, which really – you know, holds enough weight to trade you these days. So, yeah, this is the longest that the Patriots have had their backup quarterback in-house. Um, and a lot of us thought it was going to run right to the end. A lot of us thought this was, you know, hitting free agency or or the rights would be traded maybe after the season, that kind of thing. So this kind of came out of nowhere. The, the Patriots, I, I think, did pretty well in getting, you know, essentially the number 33 overall pick back in this, in, in the upcoming draft. So, you know, they're in a position where they can take their quarterback there groom him for a year maybe two years depending on how Brady fares next year but this is a situation where both sides should win they should last
2: question for you on Garoppolo do you think there was ever a point when somebody would have been willing to give up a first round pick for him oh yeah I like I, Cleveland or, I had, or or any you know I mean I, and I'm sure that's what Belichick was holding out for and think about it. it he didn't get a first but he got a super high second if he didn't you know but do you think there might have been a point in time where a team would have been willing to give up a first to get a quarterback at least with some body of work?
1: There there were reports from from people that I that I trust and follow that this this past off season that there were two high draft picks on the table so whether that's two firsts whether that's a first and a second whether it's two seconds that that appeared to be the offer that was that was made for Garoppolo this past summer so in that regard the Patriots definitely you know took a step back but you know we kind of talked about it that the Patriots probably thought they needed you know Garoppolo in-house for at least the start of the season just because even they really didn't know where Tom Brady was going to land this season right I mean 40 is 40. But yeah. he's going
0: to be 41, yeah. and he's going to be their quarterback next year, right? That's what this says, is Tom Brady's the quarterback for the New England Patriots.
1: Yeah, Tom Brady's contract told me that two years ago, believe it or not. Tom, mm. the, the way that, that uh, Brady kind of does this every two years, change the contract, what they did is they, is they actually put a decent amount of signing bonus into this last kind of re-up. And there's a there's $14 million in dead cap sitting in next year. So either they were going to let him retire or release him and, and take that hit, which... I can't imagine they'd ever do. Just that's not the franchise to do that. Um, or he was going to play. So I, in my opinion, the way the contract was structured, they were always under the impression that 2018 was Tom Brady still. That's why they told Giselle, stop talking about concussions.
0: Exactly. Let's talk about more about quarterbacks because uh, you mentioned Garoppolo. You know, the franchise tag is twenty three, at least $23 million bucks. You mentioned Osweiler, uh, the $18 million deal in Houston. Uh, Glennon, who had $15 uh, million in Chicago. Even Tyrod Taylor's deal in Buffalo, just over $15 million on, on the bridge deal. Kirk Cousins is interesting when you look at uh, quarterbacks this coming off season. Uh, there's him, there's Alex Smith, there's Sam Bradford to talk about, uh, and Garoppolo in the mix. But let's talk about Kirk Cousins because here's a player that all of us, I mean, I want to be Kirk Cousins' agent. This offseason, right? I mean yeah. he's played it are, very
2: well, hasn't he?
0: I can buy the new truck I'm looking at if I'm Kirk Cousins' agent.
2: And the bigger picture is that when have we ever talked about guys that we of note of, of note that might be available at the quarterback position? I mean you know, other than Peyton, which was a very unusual situation, when was the last time a legit quarterback hit the free agent market?
1: Yeah, it's it's extremely rare. Um it, you know, it could have go all the way back to Drew Brees. You know, I, falling out of favor, and Diego. he
2: wasn't a legit no. quarterback when he was a free agent. I don't want I want people to understand right. that that he was not Drew Brees. He was coming off what was at times called a devastating shoulder injury, of which some doctors, including the Miami ones, did not think he would recover from.
0: That's the same doctor, by the way, Is says a Jai's knees are forty five. No, I don't know. It might know. be, That's but okay. but you're
2: right. I mean, so we're going back ten years at least when there was a legitimate quarterback available in the open market but this year might be different
1: yeah we're looking at what could be a very unusual offseason in terms of the quarterback position um not not just because there are x number of guys who could be available but because there's legitimately 12 teams who could need a quarterback you know we've got a draft class we've got free agents we've got trades and we've got Kirk Cousins which yesterday's move with Jimmy Garoppolo only made him look better right because now if a few of these guys get to free agency he is Going to be the standout number one option in terms of the best available. So, you know, we've done our work on evaluating him for the last three years, and and, you know, Washington's kind of squashed that with these franchise tags. But this is a guy that is right near or at the top of of the charts in terms of our evaluations. He stands at 27 million right now, which ties Matthew Stafford's contract for the the most in the league. So, you know, the the stats have always been there. The production's always been there. This is just a guy that really just needs a long-term deal, and I, I'm, not, I'm not positive he gets it. I'm not positive. I think positive the jury's right. still
2: out on him a little bit, honestly, and just in my opinion, he's, he's put up good numbers. He, you know, Again, it's all relative to what you have or don't have, but he hasn't taken that team to a lot of heights that people thought he could and would, and, and I think that's why the Redskins have been hesitant to sign him to a long-term deal, because I don't think they know whether yeah. he's really the guy.
0: I blame it all on Deuce Gruden right now. From, you know the strength coach.
2: <laughs> I just I'm want like, to find a way to work Deuce Gruden. Dude, in I thought you were talking yeah. like Gruden number two, which would be his brother Jay. No, it's
0: his net. It's it's John Skit. Who? Right. Yes. Who? You know. is
2: working for?
1: Yes, yes. I saw him on Anyways, the sidelines. Yes.
0: Anytime we can work Deuce Gruden into. I mean, what's his valuation on spotrack.com
1: Yeah, we're uh <laughs> we're dropping the ball on that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, but no,
0: seriously, uh, what Paul was mentioning about Kirk. He, Cousins. Here's
1: what I, here's what I, I think about Kirk Cousins. They, they've been willing to pay him twenty million dollars and for a one-year deal they've been willing to pay him 24 million dollars for a one-year deal I, I can't i can't sit here and say they won't pay 28 for a one-year deal i think and, they and, will and that's what the transition tag would be uh, which is essentially like sending him the restricted free agency next year um if they do that the numbers would be insane that we're talking about three years and 73 million dollars for kirk cousins wow which if you're going to pay that <laughs> he better be a good quarterback right Are i mean better? you've got to think he's, he's a good quarterback a good you're quarterback you're i don't know that he's better than he, that here's where here's where i have to step in though right because because i'm the cap guy here that that's how i look at this what you're doing is killing your cap every year cuz it's such a big chunk you're putting one salary cash and cap on the, on your roster every single year so so where you may think cousins hasn't been able to take them to the next level i think cousins salary has thwarted their ability to sign the proper players Great i mean point. i mean they they had to dump their wide receiving core this year. So,
2: why, would, so be, why, would, why have they been unwilling to help their cap situation by signing him to a long-term deal? Are they worried that if they sign him to a long-term deal and he never gets better than what he is and they've got to look to replace him, they're on the hook? Is, is that what the Redskins' thinking has been?
1: Here's the thing. We, we kind of talked about this in our last episode. These five, six-year contracts are never five, six-year contracts. They're three. So this is going to be year three next year. So had they signed into a five-year, hundred and twenty million dollar deal, you know, two years ago, like we all kind of thought they would, we, we'd be at the breaking point right now. We, we'd be at a position where they could probably get out of this contract if they needed to. So it, it's it's questionable. It, it's questionable. I, the the only way I can see this being relevant for them and and worth it is does Kirk Cousins need that kind of motivation? Is he a guy that needs a one-year deal? Does he need to be, you know, on the cusp of? Getting tossed out of town, you know, to, to kind of need that, that kick in the butt to, to be a great he player. to
2: play mad. Yeah. does he need to play and, mad at the organization. And,
1: and I'm not saying that's a bad philosophy. And I'm not saying that's a philosophy other teams shouldn't take. But I don't think I'd take it with the quarterback. I, I think that's just too important of a position. You've got a guy who can clearly win. I mean, he's won playoff game. He can win, you know. So this is a guy, and you're paying him a ton of money already. It's not like you're, you know, in a situation with the Bills and Tyrod Taylor and, and you're kind of lowballing just to kind of get, this, get through this thing and see where you go. They're paying them top dollar year after year here, and they look they look willing to do it next year too.
0: Final thing on Kirk Cousins, and final thing uh, here on the NFL quarterbacks because uh, we've got uh, our cap fact and contract the week to get to. Does this work out better for Kirk Cousins financially signing these you know the one year deals the tags? So you mentioned, you know, over three years, he's been over 70-some-odd million. Does it work out better for him financially?
1: It's comparable. I mean, this th- if he is to get a transition tag and pull in 73 million over three years, you're talking about that's top three money in terms of the league. I mean, you're talking, that's Matthew Stafford broken down year by year is really what it is so yeah like like i said it's working out for him you know but the, if the redskins were willing to do this why not just do it why not just do it on, on a five six year year deal spread out your cap a little bit make your make life easier for you to bring in you know some more weapons for the guy all right great stuff you can look at the redskins
0: uh, entire salary structure and where they could have used some receivers that they let go for kirk cousins
2: today's cap fact Okay Mike for our cap fact we get a question on Twitter from @slowrunner That's my handle. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you run, that's accurate. His question Mike is how does a fifth year qualifying offer's work in the NBA free agency in regard to restricted free agents and how can one become unrestricted early?
1: Oh, everybody knows this one. Yeah, right. <laughs> Surface stuff here. Great no. question. Yeah, really nice. I, I kind of laid it out and a couple of parts here. So, so first of all, what is the qualifying offer, right? Generally speaking, in terms of how the other sports work, it's kind of a mix between an arbitration in baseball, maybe a franchise tag in football, and really restrictive free agency as well. It's kind of a combination of all those things. There's, there's a lot of moving parts, so we'll kind of break it out here. So, so what does it mean if you get a qualifying offer, right? Um, last year, the Washington Wizards have a great player, Otto Porter Jr. His rookie contract was up they obviously didn't want to see him walk for nothing, so they they slapped the qualifying offer on him, essentially making him a restricted free agent. What does that mean? It means he's under contract for about $6 million. He signs that offer. Te- any team in the league can, can make an offer sheet, and uh, the Washington Wizards have a certain amount of time to be able to match that offer sheet, and then he either plays for the new team or for the Washington Wizards. He was, he was made an offer by the Brooklyn Nets, Washington matched that offer. He's still with the Wizards this year. So that's kind of the process of how the qualifying offer starts and finishes in terms of, you know, a player that signs it. What happens if he doesn't sign it? That's a whole different animal. If he doesn't sign the qualifying offer and October 1st comes around, essentially, he's kind of floating in air as a restricted free agent, right? Teams can still make offer sheets to this, to this player, but he, he, he no longer can play on that salary. On, on that qualifying offer that was made to him, that's gone. It's thrown out the window. It's garbage. Um, he he's got a, he can either negotiate with the current team, wait for an offer sheet and and sign that, or he sits out for the rest of the season and his rights remain with the current team. So it, it's a tough situation for for the player if he doesn't want to sign that offer sheet, and we really don't see that happen too often. Um, and, and the last part of this is how, how does that you know six million dollars for Otto Porter come about in terms of the qualifying offer? It's a real complicated structure, but it's based on the, the draft. It's based on where you're drafted in, in your rookie season. You know, So your top 10 picks have a percentage of, uh, of their last year's salary that turns into a qualifying offer. So in his case, it was like 125% of last year's salary becomes his qualifying offer for the fifth year. So it slides up and down. And the only really difference that can come about with the numbers in terms of how that salary structured is, is if you're hurt if you don't produce those kind of things matter. And that's where the major league baseball's arbitration kind of comes into this, you know, your, your next year's salary kind of is kind of based on how you played or if you didn't play the year before. So there's a lot of moving parts. Um, we kind of keep up with this in the off season for the NBA, especially with a lot of different things happening in terms of big salaries. So, You know, we'll have uh, plenty on this in terms of, uh, you know, research articles and tweets and things like that. So kind of keep forward with us next year, and we'll uh, make this clear. Great question from at SlowRunner. Great way to get questions in and
0: answered here on the podcast or on Twitter is at SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, at Twitter. Time now for the Contract of the Week. All right, Contract of the Week is very noteworthy
1: because of suspension. The on again, off again, now on again, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, we think we think he's suspended again, but we'll you know, we'll see what happens Sunday. Yeah, so so you know, reports from last night that you know the judge handed down the case. He he is back on suspension, so he will he will be suspended for six games. So we'll take a look at what that means in terms of finances. And it's pretty substantial. I mean, for for a top number one, you know, first round pick, what comes with that first round contract are significant base salary guarantees. And the deal is, any kind of suspension for drugs, for PEDs, for off-field incidences, and for you know this kind of situation, those guarantees void. So yes, he's going to lose, you know, around two million dollars in signing bonus and game checks for the six games missed. But more importantly, he's he's set to void over eight million dollars in base salary guarantees for the next two and a half seasons. Because of this incident, because he's been suspended for an off-the-field incident, so you know it's a situation where it, it could work in his favor. It could not work in his favor. And what I'm, what I'm saying here is, you know, we kind of talked about it with Jhi and and running backs as a whole. There's a threshold in terms of where teams want to be with these with these running backs and these knees and and, and their longevity in terms of how much they want to you know run the workhorse. And, and really, you know, this could benefit Ezekiel Elliott in the long run if. In his rookie contract, when he's making good money but not great money, that he's taking a few games off here, right? That that, that the knees are getting a rest. Certainly, the Cowboys are, are going to be no better for it. You know, certainly his stats won't be any better for it. But this guy's done enough to to kind of say, you know, I'm I'm a dynamic player in the league. I'm certainly worth a second contract. And, and when that contract comes now, he's going to have a significant amount of, you know, knees, you know, available where guys like Le'Veon Bell, who you know, just got franchise tagged with a nice $12 million salary. But the Pittsburgh Steelers have been running him into the ground for two and a half years now. I mean, this is a guy who catches the ball, runs the ball. He's on pace for 450 touches this year, which is top three all time based on, you know, something I read on Twitter yesterday. This is a situation where, you know, guys like that, they're never going to get the big paycheck. You know, when when those kind of stats come up, and teams see that and, 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 you know, they understand that the the threshold is 30 years old and X number of carries based on what they've done in the past couple of years, this could favor Ezekiel Elliott when that second contract comes around and he's a little bit fresher and maybe a little younger in terms of, you know, comparing himself to other players. So, you know, the money might work out for him in the long run.
2: One quick question about Ezekiel Elliott. Does the money void because of clauses that that come into play when you get suspended, or does it have to do with playing time or performance? Like, like what creates the void of that $8 million?
1: Yeah, it's the suspension.
2: Is it, 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 that standard it, in a lot of contracts? Almost
1: all of them. It would be hard-pressed not to. Actually, Marcel Darius had a situation where his suspension did not void his guarantees. Otherwise, the Bills would have had a lot easier time trading him. There you go. But um, this is you know, an off-the-field incident of this magnitude. Um, once that suspension comes down from the league, the contract... Guarantees void. So he you know, that's a that's a tough loss for him if things go wrong the next couple of years.
0: You had me thinking uh real quick on you know, saving the knees. Like you know, Le'Veon Bell waited through training didn't go to training camp.
1: Think wisely the same thing
0: Yes, right. Probably trying to save himself some reps and wear and tear and not having to play preseason games where an injury could occur. And, you know, it's the old uh, I think uh Bruce Smith used to do this with the Buffalo Bills back in the day. Ah, you know, a little hamstring injury in training camp and not have to go through the drills. You may see more and more players do that. More
1: of that there, and we've already started seeing it in the college game. You know, when when running backs know Fournette. that they're ready for the next level. Yep. I mean, you're going to start seeing d- guys take some days off for sure.
2: Running back second contracts are incredibly interesting for the reasons that you talked about, because it's become almost a disposable position yeah. around the league. Where just get me a young guy, draft him in the third, fourth round. Uh, I will run him for three years and go get me another one. Second contracts for because a lot of them have been have not worked out for teams that have given big second contracts to running backs.
1: You're right. It's something to watch in the next couple of years, and especially knowing now that Le'Veon Bell couldn't even get one, right? I mean, this guy was mo- the most dynamic player in the last 10 years in terms of that position, in terms of receiving and rushing. So, you know, he's, I'm sure he's happy with his $12 million salary right now, but in terms of how that's changed the running back market, he didn't do what we thought he was going to do in terms of resetting that, you know, that, that number for running backs going forward. So maybe Ezekiel is a guy who can do that can get another big contract, you know, a LaShawn McCoy type contract, who's really the last guy standing in terms of a long-term running back contract. But yeah, it's an interesting dynamic in terms of, you know, the committees of running backs, how much they're getting used, when they're going to be washed up, what is that age threshold, what is that carries threshold, and, you know, will a long-term second contract even come for these guys? A lot of great
0: stuff on the National Football League with the trade deadline, with the quarterbacks, uh, quarterbacks coming up this offseason. We just finished up talking about Ezekiel Elliott and running backs. You can look at all the running back contracts. You can look at any position, uh, excuse me, any contract by position at SpotTrack.com. You can look at all the teams, where things fit in, dead money, cap money, cash money. It's all explained Spotrack.com for Mike Giannetti, Paul Peck. I'm Kevin Sylvester. Thanks for listening.